quick happy Mother's Day. Just thank you to all your mothers. I, gotta, I had to get up so early this morning, I haven't had a chance to call my mom yet, but uh, hopefully she's not wondering why I didn't call. <laughs> I, uh, I had a friend, uh, he's still a good buddy of mine, but I haven't talked to him in a while. We, uh, we lived together for quite a while, and he's one of those guys, you all know somebody like this, some of you are this person, but he, he's almost as tall as me, and he was... Instead of being like a kind of a weak stick figure, which is more my body style, he was super muscular in about 6'5", and just like you bump into him and it was like, you know, like iron. You guys know somebody like that? There's always somebody that's like a a bigger version of of Andy. Just solid, really solid. And, uh... Anybody else need to shout out about their physique? I can do that for you. So this guy, his name's Dan. And, uh, but one of the things that Dan did was he helped with the uh, uh, water safety school that I was uh, also taking the class in. So I was learning to be a lifeguard and all that kind of thing. And one of the parts of the test was that they had someone who was drowning and you had to uh, go in and dive in and pull that person up and out of the water and they would struggle. Anybody had that test before? Okay, yeah. So, and of course, Dan is the guy. I mean, he, he's like lead. He's like a big thing, of 220 pounds of lead. And then he would, you know, just, just yank you down in the water when you were, yeah. And so I remember uh, trying to, uh, to rescue this guy. And I was big enough, obviously, but it's still this huge struggle. And the reason I tell you that, I did, by the way, get him out of the water. He let me get him out of the water. But... Uh, this series that we're in, this series that we're calling Running with Giants, where we're looking at these key characters in, in the Hebrew Scripture, in the Old Testament, every, we've only done three now, and each one that I come to, it's like, it's like wrestling with that kind of thing. The stuff that's there, is, there's so much, and it's so important to how we understand who God is, that I feel like I don't want to come across on Sunday morning as like too heavy, and like this is too deep, and Oh, but man, it is too heavy and too deep, <laughs> just to be honest. It's just been really um, intense for me. And so I just, I guess in a way I'm apologizing in advance because it's just, it's just hard stuff. And I, I feel like uh, I want to bring it to you in a way that you can enjoy and, and dig into, but you're going to have to take it on your own and wrestle with it yourself. So I want to just ask you, you know, take each of these people, each of these, uh, these narratives in the Hebrew scripture and grab a hold of them and spend some time with them and think about them because these things we're going to talk about aren't easy things. They're, uh, they're old stories. They're old narratives. They're telling us about who God is. And there are these miracles. There are, there are things that are fantastic. There are things that we need to, to really wrestle with. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Don't just hear it and walk away, and, but work with it with me, okay? It's, it's, uh, it's worth it. It's really worth it. And I feel like we're just barely scratching the surface We've been uh, talking about, we've, we've looked at uh, Eve and, we've, and Adam in the first uh, message that we had. We, last week, we looked at Abraham and the covenant that God makes with him. This week, we're going to look at Job and the experience that Job has as he progresses in trusting God. And that's, that's really what the, the main point I want to make today is. I want to encourage you, wherever you are in your spiritual life, whatever is going on in your life, to trust God in the journey. Now, I realize that that sounds like I just went to, up to Fister's and pulled it out of a card 
and read, trust God in the journey, right? Doesn't it sound like that kind of a statement? So I apologize for that. But the truth of it is, is much deeper, I think, than even I'm going to get close to sharing with you today, this idea of trusting him in the journey of life that we're, we're in. And I, I guess uh, I want to describe for just a minute what I mean by trust and, and let you guys take it with your heart or your mind where you go with that. But part of trusting is, is um, this deep belief that even though we cannot see the results of the space that we're trusting God in, that we go there anyway. There's this gap between what we can see and know is going to happen or even hope for, right? In this thing that's out there that he may be calling us or leading us to trust him in. And that space, that in-between space is where the, the trust really happens. It's easy to trust that there's a chair here I can sit down in. It's a lot harder to trust that something that I'm hoping for or don't understand that God's going to pull through in the end, and this will, he will make things right. It's hard, it's hard to grasp that. And it's that gap that I'm talking about. For instance, uh, let, me, let me give an example. To, to think about in, in the idea of marriage, to be like when you're 16, to think about being faithful to one person from, your, from age 15 or 16 all the way to you get married and then beyond. Okay, well, that's not written in any law. That's, that's, th- this is faithfulness that comes from the scripture. You don't get it anywhere else. They were faithful to a person. And that's what makes marriage a special thing because you, you're married to one person. But there's this element of trust that says, God, if that's what, that's what you want, and I have to trust you in what I'm not getting, the satisfaction, the life, the experiences that I'm not getting because I'm trusting that no matter how that marriage turns out, that marriage that I'm in, whatever marriage you are in, is the one. And that's hard because there's a gap in the things that we desire and, tr- and we have to trust God to meet the need of the gap. Um, that's, that's one example. You know, Adam and Eve, we talked about them a couple weeks ago. They had all these beautiful things. One thing God said, just obey me in this one thing. And they chose that one thing because they, they couldn't seem to trust that good things would come from waiting, from believing that what he said, even though they couldn't understand the outcome, would make sense in the end. Do you see what I'm saying? There's this, this space that we just have a hard time getting to, and, and that's where trust comes in. So we're in, all in these journeys. I know probably all of you are thinking of a place in your life where there's a need for trust. So wherever you are in that journey, let me, let me encourage you to, to be able to ask the question, can I trust you, God, and answer it with yes, yes, I can. And hopefully we can see that with the story of Job right here. And we'll read some from the story in just a moment because it's hard to read the whole story of Job. It's like 35 chapters, so we're not going to do that. But let me make uh, three points about it. So the first one is this. I'm, they're a little different today. One plus one, that's the first one. The second point is who over why. So one plus one, who over why. And the third one is 100%. Okay, so that's the process we're going to go through. So Job, briefly, is this narrative that most of you know, no matter how much Bible or church background you have. Job is a wealthy, successful in all the kind of things, the ways that we would think success comes. 
and he is afflicted and God allows him to be afflicted and all these terrible, terrible things. The worst thing, everything is taken away from him just in this consecutive process until his health is completely taken. All he has left is three so-called friends and his wife. And the story is this, yeah, (laughs) I don't know which one's the bigger blessing, the friends or the wife. This is not, yeah, (laughs) sorry. Uh, (laughs) So this is this process of interaction that happens as Job moves through trying to understand and trust God with what's happening. Well, it kind of goes like this. All these things happen. His whole life basically is taken away. He's in dust and ashes, and he's he's in mourning. He's absolutely uh, just, he's got every kind of uh, painful thing going on with his physical body you can think of, right? You kind of remember that. And so the first thing is his friends come and say, Job, you, you probably sinned. You probably deserve this. And Job says, no, no, no. I didn't, I, I didn't. And then they come around, there's this conversation and it comes around and they say, you, we're pretty sure, we're sure you did. And he goes, no, I didn't. And then they get real harsh about it and said, you definitely sinned and you're being punished. And he says, I did not do that. But at that point, something happens where Job decides that he's going to defend himself. So if you're reading the whole narrative, all the 30 chapters are pretty much up to this. Job makes this turn right about chapter 29, and he says, you know, all I've done is good. All I've done this whole time is good, and and that's what we're going to get to in just a second. And we'll see uh, his friends rebuke him, and then God responds. So this is sort of the layout. And let me say this, too. You You guys may be Bible scholars. I don't know. Job is one of those stories. We can't tell when he lived. It's obviously didactic. It's written to teach us about who God is and our relationship with him. Uh, Is it a literal story? Well, by itself, we could argue either way. But when Jesus later talks about Job as as a real person, then I think that's how I'm going to take it. I'm going to go with Jesus over what I might think. And so just, but you're, you know, the thing, the beautiful thing about uh, the Bible, about the God that we worship is that he leaves it, he lets us question him. So feel free to do that. It's between you and him. It's okay. So God has, has, allowed us to have this narrative to teach us about who he is and how we relate to him. So this idea of one plus one. So we'll jump into this journey that Job is on. Uh, So here's what I mean by one plus one. If something happens or we do something, then we expect a certain result. This is how we live. This is how we operate. If this happens, if I do this, then I have this result. Now, if you, if you remember, Job's friends and his wife are going down this path. You must have sinned, therefore. You must have sinned, therefore. Surely you sinned. You're a wretched sinner. Therefore, these things happen to you. And Job says no all the time, right? That's the, the narrative that, that we see. Well, finally, Job pleads his case, and he confirms that he thinks the same thing, that it's one plus one. If I do this and I do this, then these will be the results, well, y'all, God does not always work like that, okay? We have to truly, surely, sometimes he does. But many times, and maybe the norm is that he does not work like that. One plus one does not always equal the result that we think. So let me just read to you a little bit of Job's defense. This is in chapter 29, and I just picked a little piece of his long defense. And his defense is saying, hey, haven't I been a good guy? 
So listen to what he says. When the ear heard, it called me blessed. And when the eyes saw, it approved. When the eyes saw, because I delivered the poor who cried for help and the fatherless who had none to help him. The blessing of him who was about to perish came upon me and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My justice was like a robe and a turban. I was eyes to the blind and feet to the lame. I was a father to the needy. I searched out the cause of him whom I did not know. I broke the fangs of the unrighteous and I made him drop his prey from his teeth. Wow. That's just, so he wasn't just wealthy and good as a, a father and as a landowner and as a proper, you know, as a businessman. He went beyond that and he did good things for the people around him. So he had this, this whole other side that was this extra blessing that he brought. And he's trying to prove this, right? He's saying, I agree with you guys. I agree with my friends that there is something that I have. Should, God shouldn't let this happen unless he is punishing me for something. Okay? That's what he's telling them he agrees with. Because he's saying, no, no, I'm, I'm really a pretty good guy. So he falls into this same kind of belief structure. And I want to just mention that, that this thing that he's talking about, when we talk about from our mission team that's working right now, when we talk about justice, especially biblical justice, uh, this is just a little aside. A lot of times when we hear the word justice, we think of what happens in the courthouse, right? And, and of course, that's true. But biblical justice is more about what this, what Job is talking about right here. I took care of the orphan. I blessed the widow. I, I protected the one who did not have the resources to protect himself. I gave him or her the things that I don't have. That's justice. That's bringing equity to the world. And that's what the Bible has God has spoken to his people all along about that. And this is a beautiful passage about what that could look like. So Job is saying, hey, I'm, I'm really pretty good and I should have been blessed. Well, he finally said, he, he basically says to God, why? And look at verse, chapter 30, verse 19 and 20. This is a passage that he, he sort of repeats this idea. God has cast me into the mire and I have become like dust and ashes. I'm just burned up. There's nothing left of me. I cry out to you, God, for help, and you do not answer. I stand, and you only look at me. Have you ever been woken up in the middle of the night and had that prayer, had that thought in the daytime? In other words, Job is saying, why? Why? It's okay to ask why. I mean, we see things in our lives all the time. Is throughout the scripture, people ask why. When I, when, I see, when I hear we have a good God and I teach that and I read that and then I see the refugee crisis or this week when the camp gets bombed, these people have already had this terrible thing happen and, this, and then a bunch of them get bombed. I'm like, God, you've got to show up and be good. I did happen to read a quote that said, if you have, a tru- if you have trouble with a lack of goodness in the world, and you want to have trouble with God, you might not want to have trouble with yourself. Because if you're not willing to do anything about it, then you probably don't have a lot of trouble with it. So it's hard to condemn him if you can't deal with it yourself. I can't deal with it myself. So, you know, that, or like this Zika thing, for instance. 
I'm just sharing with you where I'm going. I read that and I go, these babies, why is this happening? Why is this happening? They, I mean, if anybody were, if you could be innocent, that would be them. And now they're going to inherit this life that is, is so difficult. Uh, the emotional suffering that we go through the suffering that our friends and our family go through. We ask God, why? What is going on here? And that's, I think that's where the personal thing, where it gets personal and trust becomes different. Becomes more significant. I, I was talking to, to Steph this week, who, you know, just got her good news that she's clear. Woo-hoo! Again, right? So this is the annual. You know, so uh, we were talking on the phone and she was saying all these things about what God's taught her and how she's just, struggled with the why and all this. And, and while she's talking, I'm like, is there a way to record? Like I'm, I'm trying to find like, I was really trying to listen and try to find a way to push, turn and record what you were saying. Cause she said, oh, this is a series of beautiful sentences about trusting God. Cause the way she likes to say, it, and you probably heard her is she, she's in a lot of clubs. You know, she's in the, I lost my son. You know, I'm a high school age son club. That's a tough club to be in on a day like this. She's in other clubs. I'll let her explain to you sometime. But she's in the cancer club, you know. Um, and but here she is caring for us. Uh, you know, she doesn't want to be in another club, <laughs> for sure. But she is in the that real raw battle between trusting God, right, and questioning Him and saying why. Probably every day. I trust you, I know I trust you, but why? Why? And if something else happens, why? But she's having to look ahead, and, and she said several times, I know that God will use this for, for good, for his glory, no matter what, it, whether it includes me or not. And I just was like, oh, thank you for saying that. I'm like, this is so great. See, Job had moved to that place where he was saying, it's one plus one, it's what I do or did that has led to this. And I want to encourage you that that's, and we see it in other places in the scripture, that's not always how God works. He is doing something perhaps that we can't see and we have to trust him. I want to encourage you to trust him in the journey. It's not always one plus one. So the second thing, and this is, this is probably the key thing that I, that I would point to is, is the heart of this is, is who over why. It's who over why. So Job asked why, but the really, the big question that he might've wanted to ask was who? Who is allowing this? Who is overseeing this? Who is in charge of all of these things, regardless if I can't see the end? Who, if they say, if this God says that this is the line, this is the place you shouldn't go, this is the place you should go, and I can't see the end, it's who that we trust. Uh, and, and that allows us, that helps and it helps me to fill the gap between saying, I don't, I can't see the end of this. I don't know how you will satisfy my desire, God, but I know that you will because I trust you. You can make it right. Here's, uh, so uh, God says, God begins to respond to Job and he responds quite a bit. And I just want to read to you the beginning of that in chapter 38 in, in verse two. God says, to Job in this very personal and pretty intense moment. Who is it that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? 
dress for action like a man, and I will question you, and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have the understanding. I mean, God takes it up to another level. God gets right to the point. He, he says, who is this? And by that, he means you probably should know, you should probably get an understanding on where your place is in the whole big picture. There's a little bit more going on than you think. There's more happening here than you think is, is happening right now. And I love the, he, God says this to him twice, dress for action like a man. And that's a great translation that we have. It basically means put your big boy panties on. Um, in other translation, it says, gird yourself. You know, it means, it, it literally means, you know, put on your underwear, put on your pants. And, you know, basically God's saying, I'm, remember when he takes Abraham outside and he shows him the stars and he says, here's your promise. I think this time he's taking, dragging Job outside and he says, put your pants on, you're getting ready to get it again. This is going to be rough. So get ready. And God just goes into this list. He says, where were you? Essentially, God is saying, though you cannot fathom my ways, it does not mean that I am wrong. Okay? Definitely God is involved. But just because you can't understand and you can't see the end does not mean I am wrong. That's, that's essentially what the narrative goes down. Uh, when we were, it was one of our first trips, our family to Crested Butte. And Sarah was one, and Taylor was then, so about three. And we had rented a condo up on the mountain. And so this was uh, 98 or something. So we were coming up, and I, uh, I don't have a lot of firm memories from those days of young childhood stuff. But I do remember that we went to this McDonald's in, uh, in Wichita Falls. And it, that was the moment when Taylor started getting sick because he threw up all over McDonald's. <laughs> so I said that burned in my memory. So he's a three-year-old. We get up here, and he starts to get dehydrated, and he's just getting worse and worse and worse day after day. And some of you have been through this, and the child is just... And finally, he just won't even move. And we're like, oh, my gosh, we've got to get to the hospital. So we come down, and we go in, and the, uh, uh, the doctor says, um, well, we're going to have to give a, an IV to your child. It's like, okay. Okay, I mean, I understand it has to be done, and that's not, to me, that seemed like it made a lot of sense. Just give him Well, Taylor was not pleased, and he just came unglued, and, was, and he was really a very calm child, and he was just, I mean, it was the worst thing I've been through as a parent. I mean, I know a lot of you have been through way worse things, but we had, the worst thing was having to hold him down, and some of you, you know, can imagine what that was like, or have done it, and they, while the while the doctor's trying to get this needle in his little arm, right? And it was terrible. But I trusted the doctor that we were doing the right thing. Now, Taylor has no idea. All he knows is don't do this to me. Do not, that's his total understanding. I don't want that needle in me. But it's a, it was a simple illustration to me of trusting the one who is telling us what has to happen. And it's bigger than can possibly be understood by the one sometimes receiving. There's a bigger thing going on. And so when he was rehydrated, it was great. And he, he'd forgotten. You know, I had never forgotten. <laughs> but God is saying there's something bigger going on. 
Who is this that darkens counsel without knowledge? So I want to remind you as you're thinking about this, as you're talking to God about this, it's, it's more about who than the why. It's, more, it's less about why I'm going through this and it's more about the who that's with me in that journey. Okay, finally, 100%. And the reason I said that, the reason I'm making that the last point is that in this, God shows his trustworthiness to be absolute. It is, he is 100% in, in trustworthiness with us. You remember last week, if you were here, we talked about Abraham and how God makes a covenant with him. And, and to make that covenant in that culture, they had to split these big animals in half, which sounds horrible to us. But when they, they made this aisle, and what happens is that rather than both of the parties, the human parties, going through the aisle of between these animals to make the covenant, like saying, if I don't hold up my end, I will die. Instead of both of them going through, God comes through. So God makes this covenant, this irrevocable covenant that says, I will die if this covenant is broken. This is, the, this is what he makes with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless all people through you. And if it doesn't happen, I will die. Well, you probably see where I'm going with this. And that someone later does fulfill that covenant. At the right time, remember these words of Paul? At the right time, Jesus died, the just for the unjust. So the covenant was broken. But God still held up his end of the bargain, which was the whole bargain, 100% of the bargain. I read this quote from a guy named Philip Yancey. Some of you are familiar with his books. It says, see if you can follow this with me. It took me a minute, but he says, a man can only suffer as much as one man can suffer. I can only feel what I can feel. But when Christ died, he suffered for all men. He felt what all men would have felt. That was the cost of the covenant that God made with Abraham years and years before Jesus would be on the scene. And and the thing about it is, Jesus doesn't say, hey, why don't you get up here on the cross with me and help me pay for this? And you would never say, I wouldn't say, hey, Jesus, if I was there, can I get up there and kind of help you? Can I do this for everybody? Because we can't. You would never think of doing that. It just doesn't make sense. And the reason is that that's the one place where we understand that one plus one doesn't equal the result we think it's going to equal. Because Jesus took all of that for us. We didn't earn it. We couldn't make it good enough. We couldn't help him just a little bit. It was just him, 100%, all of it. You know, David uh, was another guy who questioned God and came around to understanding that there was a place that he could trust him. Look at uh, Psalm 22. Many of you are familiar with this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, from the, so far from the words of my groaning? Do those words sound familiar? Because Jesus spoke them later and they're recorded in a couple of the Gospels as his last words. My God, my God, why are you forsaking me? The humanness of Jesus comes through. 
It is okay to ask why. I mean, is there any better proof of that? It's okay to struggle with what God is doing. I I think, and I'm proposing to you to wrestle with this, the difference is the trust. Jesus said, why? But I trust you, but your will be done. I trust you. I came, I found like, if you ever read C.S. Lewis, he has just a ton of great quotes about why God does what he does and how we struggle to understand that. And if we just got a glimpse of it, it would never be a question again. But I decided rather than reading you like a series of quotes, I, I want to re- read you from the book of Habakkuk. This is a, a minor prophet. It's towards the end of the, the Old Testament, the Hebrew scripture, chapter three, about trust in the journey. Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God, my Savior. I will trust. So let me, uh, let me just close with this uh, thought. Uh, Job and David and others all come to the same conclusion in the end. And, and David uh, writes it out pretty well. I want to read it to you from Psalm 22. This is just continuing the same passage where Jesus, the one that Jesus quotes on the cross. This is Psalm 22, uh, verse 2. Uh, we'll start there. Oh my God, I cry out and you don't answer. By night... I find no rest, yet you are holy, you are enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. I I want to encourage you, wherever you are, that we ask and we struggle with the why, but we trust in who it is that is with us in the journey. So I'm going to pray that that would be where our hearts would be as we go out today. Lord, thank you for uh, this morning, for a chance to just be with our friends. Lord, um, you know, I think of the guys and girls who are leading us on the stage uh, this morning in worship and in volunteering. And each one of them leading us and caring for us has huge burdens in life, God. And, uh, and that just filters out to our whole body. All of us have things that we're wrestling with, with you, the wise, whether they're personal or global. And uh, we, we simply, I ask that each one of us would wrestle with you, but that on the other side, we would come out like David and Job, and we would trust in who it is that is walking with us on this journey. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, y'all have a wonderful afternoon. We'll see you later.